Hey there, it's Coach Kim, and this is a Total Female Hockey Podcast, where we're going to help players, coaches, and teams take their game to the next level. Let's make some magic happen. Hey there, it's Coach Kim, and on today's podcast, I'm going to talk about my first love in the world of coaching and the reason I started Total Female Hockey in the first place And that was off-ice training or athlete development. To be honest with you, over half of my saved videos on Instagram are all workout stuff. For sure, there's more workout stuff on there than there are skill drills to do on the ice. Off-ice training was the reason, the reason I excelled from the ages of 15 to 21, so sort of grade 10 all the way through my college career. It was my advantage. It's why I passed a lot of people who had a lot more skill and a lot more experience than me. I know those of you who've been listening to the podcast know I didn't even start playing organized hockey till I was 13 years old. And so my athleticism when I was a kid and then compound that with the off-ice training I started to do more seriously when I was 15, it really took my game to a whole other level and my skills were lagging way, way behind. But the off-ice training actually allowed me to get ahead and gave me a little bit of wiggle room for the skills to catch up. And eventually when the two got to a similar level, well, then the sky was a limit. So I'm originally from Toronto and in high school, I had an opportunity to train with two of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world, but I didn't know it back then. And I don't know that they knew it back then um, because I think we were, I was new to training and I think they were relatively new to their strength and conditioning career. So I got to train with Brian Grasso, who eventually became the creator of the International Youth Conditioning Association. And actually someone I did a lot of work with uh, once I graduated from college and stopped playing pro and started training young athletes. And I also got to train at the same gym with Matt Nickel, who's internationally renowned as one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world. He's the founder of BioSteel and he's recently named as the the director of player health and performance for the Ottawa Senators. So he's as good as they come. Both of them are. Um, and Matt Matt's company actually trains my athletes in the summer now uh, here in Toronto uh, during our summer programming. So talk about a full circle moment. Uh, I worked out with him when I was 15, uh, 16, 17, 18 to get ready for college hockey. And now my athletes who are that same age are training with his uh, facility again. So super awesome. Um, And once I caught the bug for off-ice training, which like I said, really happened around the age of 15, that was for a couple of reasons. And I'll be honest, one of the reasons was I was a bit of a fat kid and I don't say that to be mean. I just, you know, I played a lot of sports. I was really active, but I didn't really eat very well. I, you know, ate a lot of fast food. I ate when I, you know, just whatever I wanted, whenever I felt like it. And I remember actually it was one of my basketball coaches in high school who saw the level of athletic talent I had. And I'm sure she put it delicately, but I'm sure in my teenage head, I heard, well, you know, if you weren't quite so big, you'd probably have a lot more opportunities. I'm sure she didn't say that. She was a teacher at the school. I'm sure it didn't, those are not the words that came out of her mouth, but that's what I interpreted it as. I thought the way she delivered it, it sort of sounded like, hey, you could have a scholarship in a lot of different sports, but you got to get your fitness in line. And that, you know, was a big, um, aha moment for me. And it, and it allowed me, um, the opportunity to start going to the gym. And when I was 15, 16 years old, I was going to the gym four days a week. It was just a commercial gym close to my high school. Didn't really know what I was doing. I would watch other people on the machines or doing different exercises and then try to copy them. Um, 
I was reading books and magazines because the internet didn't really exist back then. Uh, so I was just looking at like, women's fitness magazines and, you know, the books that you would even find in the library. There certainly wasn't anything that was like women's workouts for hockey players or anything like that. So I was kind of piecing it on together on my own, trying to figure it out. Um, and, you know, while it certainly wasn't ideal, I was doing the work. I was in there four days a week, probably at least an hour each time, in addition to playing soccer, basketball, and hockey at a high level. So I was putting in a lot of hours, and it definitely showed pretty quickly in my performance in my sports. I was faster, I was stronger, uh, I was quicker, and, and I felt better. I felt more fit, and certainly that confidence piece was absolutely huge as well. So eventually, around the age of 16, 17, I started to train uh, a little bit more specifically my to my sport. Uh, I started training where the Leafs trained, which I always joke was cool back then because the Leafs were good. Uh, I guess the Leafs are good again. Um, so it would be cool again to train where the Leafs, Leafs were. Um, but that's back where I trained with, with Brian and Matt. And I followed a program that was a little bit more specific to my sport. Uh, maybe geared a little bit more towards older players or more experienced players. But I was able to do that for a couple of years in high school and have a really structured program led by professionals that, you know, I just had to show up and do the work. And, you know, sometimes I was exhausted and didn't really want to do the work. I remember one specific workout uh, when I was training there in the summer. I would work hockey camps all day out in Scarborough, which is about, you know, maybe half an hour away from the gym if you're driving. But my parents wouldn't drive me, so I had to take the subway and the bus for an hour and 15 minutes to get to and from work. And so I would leave hockey camp at like, I don't know, probably 4.30 in the afternoon and take the bus and the subway all the way back to Midtown to do this workout. And you can imagine I was chasing little ones around all day as a teenager. And then I had to give out, you know, 90 minutes of, of hard effort. And I remember one of them, one of those workouts being, like, I want to say sprints, longer sprints on the treadmill don't know if we would still do these things today but that was kind of the style back then and I just remember getting changed for the workout and thinking like I don't have anything in the tank for this workout and I then I remember saying well you got to be here anyways Kim you're gonna get through the workout you might as well give everything you have in that workout and, and to be honest I, I still remember that workout and and I still tell myself that message this day and I tell my players that as well if you're gonna be there give 100% of whatever you've got even if there's only 10% of the tank and again, that mindset and that willingness to do the work, even when I was exhausted, um, certainly helped me uh, through my teenage years and allowed me to get a scholarship, uh, many scholarships actually in hockey and, and actually in soccer and basketball too. I, I could have probably played college uh, basketball and definitely had full scholarship opportunities in, in soccer as well. So, you know, that off-ice training, while eventually became a little bit more hockey-specific, certainly my multi-sport participation coupled with that off-ice training in the gym, that was a differentiator for me. I saw it almost instantly once I started doing it, even though I was probably doing it wrong. And then once I got you know, into college hockey, it made a massive difference. And this is what I always tell players, you know, when you're in grade 10, 11, 12, and you've sort of reached the highest level of girls hockey probably by that point. Uh, you might be playing, you know, U18, AA, AAA. You might be playing junior hockey. You know, you sort of feel like you've made it. And maybe off-ice training isn't quite on your radar yet. Or you go, well, I'll do it when I get to college hockey. And, and I'm telling you, once you get to high school, it is a massive part 
of becoming a high performance athlete and taking your game to the next level. And I can tell you for me, you know, that commitment I had to it, especially in my final two years of high school, when I was, you know, finally training at a a high performance gym, when I went into my freshman year of college at Dartmouth uh, in New Hampshire, division one Ivy league school, um, I won most of the fitness tests my first year as a freshman. So all four years, you know, we all competed against each other in the fit, fitness tests, but I was at the top for almost every single fitness test as a first year player. Now, I wasn't as skilled as the rest of the players on the ice, um, but I was very fit and I trained specifically to kick butt on those tests. And, you know, I'm sure it made the coaches notice. I'm sure it made my teammates notice. Who cares if no one noticed? I noticed. It was a huge confidence boost to me to be able to be so effective um, off the ice right out of the gate. It gave me a little bit of swagger. And it also meant that when we were training two hours a day on the ice and then had to go to the gym, you know, I already knew how to do a lot of those lifts. I had already trained at a high level for many years. So where a lot of my teammates you know, would be super sore and couldn't walk up the stairs or, you know, couldn't sit down uh, because their legs were so sore. Yeah, I was sore, but I didn't feel it nearly to the same level as them because I had had a couple more years of training under my belt and my body was more used to it. So these were all little advantages psychologically and physically that I had because of my devotion to off-ice training before I went to the highest levels of women's hockey. And that Commitment to fitness continued throughout my four years in college hockey. Uh, I was actually voted a strength and conditioning All-American in my senior year at Dartmouth. So they only pick one male and one female athlete from each school to receive that honor. And that's something that I'm extremely proud of because it was something I was, you know, really, really focused on and something that I actually started teaching with other teams in my my final year at Dartmouth. I started to assist the strength and conditioning coach and that really to me was like my first real coaching experience where I go like, could I do this as a job? Could this actually be something I do long-term? Of course I had taught at hockey camps when I was in high school, but that was kind of just, you know, to have a little bit of money to put away for when I went to college or to go out on the weekends. Um, It wasn't necessarily something I was considering a career, but my experience at Dartmouth and the success I had as a result of my devotion to off-ice training was really that initial spark for me to go like, this could be something that I actually want to do as a full-time job. So as a result of that spark, I applied to have an internship with another world-class strength and conditioning coach who is Mike Boyle. He's out of the Boston area. Um, I'm going to have to try to get Mike or Matt or Brian or one of these guys on on a call with me to kind of, you know, nerd out about the strength and conditioning side of it. But I was a a strength and conditioning intern with Mike. So we trained, I don't remember the working hours, but it it felt like 12 hours a day. It might've been 14 hours a day. We were there a lot. And not only did we have to train athletes all day long from, you know, uh, adults and pros all the way down to, you know, uh, middle school athletes, all different ranges of ability and experience. uh, We also had to fit in a two hour workout. We did the same workout that the college and Olympic and pro level athletes did. And we had to fit that in in the middle of our day, in addition to working 
10 to 12 other hours. Like, and this was all consecutive. There was no break time sitting down. Uh, Mike, I love you. It was great. I ate a lot of food standing up that year. And I think it actually, uh, it means now when I'm on the ice for nine hours straight, I'm like, well, that's not so bad. I could be doing 12 hours like I did uh, when I graduated from Dartmouth. So it feels kind of easy, but we would do these elite or these, these workouts next to other hockey players. And I, I got to do them actually get next to, uh, Trisha Dunn, I can't remember her married name now, but back then it was Trisha Dunn, and she was a member of the 98 Olympic team uh, in women's hockey. And, and I was doing sprints against her, or I was trying to lift next to her, and, and you know she was kicking my butt. She was way at another level I was. But just to even have that, uh, have the eyeballs on her and see how great she was in the off-ice training side of things and have that as someone to inspire me and motivate me to do even better was was awesome. So we would train four days a week. We'd work four days a week, all in a row, Monday through Thursday. We'd get three days off, which kind of was weird for me because I was training full-time, um, you know, for a long time in the gym and, and on the ice in high school and college. And so to have three days off felt a bit weird, but my body definitely needed it. And, uh, you know, it, it really set me up for my first year of pro hockey. So after I graduated from Dartmouth, I did this internship at Mike's place and then immediately went into my first year in what was then called the National Women's Hockey League. I guess it would be the same as what is now the Professional Women's Hockey League. Uh, So I came back and played for Brampton in that league. Um, And because I had trained at Mike's, and then we had done this like amazing training, and I still use a lot of the training I learned from Mike in training young athletes now and even training myself. So, you know, a lot of that stuff is timeless. That first year of pro, I actually, I felt like a transformed athlete. I, I, I felt like it was just a different human on the ice. I, I still had all the same skills, but my fitness, my movement, my mobility, my ability to recover, everything was at like a whole other level. I don't know if I ever told Mike that. Uh, maybe he'll listen to this podcast one day or, or maybe I'll shoot him an, a message, but I just felt like I'd been shot out of a rocket ship and I played great that first year. Our team was awesome. Uh, I was playing forward. I was playing a bit of D I was, you know, contributing offensively, contributing defensively. And I just felt amazing. And that year, actually, I had one of my highlights of my professional hockey career. Uh, I think it was either in an article online or, or an interview. Someone compared me to Angela James and it was like I had died and gone to heaven. Now, I know AJ pretty well, and I would never say I was even close to her level, but I aspired to play the same style of hockey that she played. Um, So to have someone, you know, say, oh, she reminds me a bit of Angela James that year after I had trained so hard with Mike and was playing my first year pro, like, I could have just stopped right there. That would have been uh, the icing on the cake for me because as a person and as a player and as a leader, I mean, you don't get, uh, you know, many, many people as awesome as AJ. So, you know, kind of the highlight of my pro career right out of the gate. But that first year success, our team won uh, the provincial championship. We went to the national championship. I got invited to train with the national team program out in Calgary. Um, And a lot of that was, again, they saw me out on the ice, but that performance on the ice would not have been possible without my devotion to the off-ice training in the summer before. And then I continued that throughout the season. So my in-season training, my first year pro was still a couple days a week. When I played pro, I liked to do a little workout in the morning of game day um, and not just, you know, stretching and a little bit of mobility work, like lifting some weights and doing some sprints. I continued that all the way through my pro career uh, and it's something that, you know, just helped me get my nerves out, made me feel 
you know, get some of the energy out uh, so that I could feel better on game day. So even with my young athletes, uh, I tell them if, if you're feeling a bit restless or, you know, your game's not till seven o'clock at night and you're thinking about it all day, go do a little workout, stick handle a little bit, shoot a little bit, uh, you know, get in the gym or, you know, do some push-ups, get some of that nervous energy out and, and it'll probably lead to a better performance on the ice. Now, when I went out into Calgary and trained with the Olympic program, uh, my off-ice training was what kept me there. Uh, because once I got there, I realized I was at a whole other level of performance. It was essentially the 2002 gold medal winning Olympic team from Canada. And then me and a couple other players who weren't quite at that level. And, you know, I could train with them off the ice. That was not a question. I had the fitness. I had the strength. I had the speed. But when it came to on the ice, like I was just, I, I could hang in, but I wasn't driving the game. I was a passenger in those games. Uh, so I was there and I could do it and I was going up and down the wing or was playing D, but I wasn't really impactful in the way that could change a game when you looked at me relative to Wickenheiser or Goyette or Campbell or again, all of these Olympians that I, I had the privilege of playing with. And so I was very grateful in, in that opportunity for my off-ice training and for my ability to sustain the high volumes of training we were doing and the high intensity of the training and practices because I was just trying to keep up uh, with these Olympic players. Um, and it, it was what got me there. Um, and then again, my skills just weren't quite at the level to, to crack through uh, to make a national team program. But I was very thankful that my off-ice training uh, was really what led that door to be opened for me. Now, I'm telling you all of this, and it sounds like it's all just unicorns and rainbows, but I have a bit of a cautionary tale in all of this in that, you know, a lot of my off-ice training wasn't necessarily either appropriate for my age or my level, or I just did too much of it. You can probably imagine just listening to me. I'm a bit, I, I don't know if I'm A-type. I guess I'm A-type. I just, I want to do more. I love getting better, whether that's in my, you know, with my business now, back when I was an athlete, it's not a lot of like deep couch sitting and uh, twiddling my thumbs, wondering what to do. And so, you know, that off-ice training, which gave me a lot of uh, an advantage, you know, sometimes I would lift too much weight or sometimes I would train too hard. I didn't really take light days or off days. Every time I went to the gym, it was, you know, more weight, more intensity, you know, faster on the treadmill. Uh, it was never like, oh, let's just go in and recover. And and the world of recovery and off-ice training has, has really changed uh, since, you know, this would have been late. 90s early 2000s right we didn't really talk about it in the same way back then as we do now so I didn't really know what I was doing I was doing too much overall like too much of everything and I did too little of some of the things that I probably needed to do more of like rest recover but things like core work stability work balance work and I was just pushing around a lot of weight using machines didn't really know I you know was getting hurt uh, more so in basketball and soccer, lots of sprained ankles, which didn't help because I would have a sprained ankle from those sports, but I could still play hockey because I would just brace it up or tape it up and then I could play. But then I really didn't have the mobility and the stability in my ankles to be able to execute, you know, the edge work that I needed. And so while that didn't hurt my on ice performance, you know, in like in the fact that I couldn't play that actually being locked up in my ankles and not having that mobility and the stability uh, through my feet and through my ankle joints actually led to a lot of back problems um, and a lot of injuries kind of further up the food chain um, 
that, you know, now I know everything is connected. And now I would say, oh, you should take time off, Kim, and not do that. But man, I was 17 years old. I was a scholarship level athlete in three sports. Who was taking time off? I wasn't taking time off. Um, But if someone had been able to steer me to, hey, you can still train in the gym, but, you know, do these things instead of loading up with the weights or sprinting on the treadmill, I probably would have listened if someone could have convinced me that it would have made me uh, an even better athlete or, or led to better performance on the ice. So, you know, no one could have convinced me to lie on the couch and do nothing. Um, but I think I could have con- been convinced to do the training a little bit differently. And that is really what ended up like creating that desire in me to start total female hockey in the first place. So when I first started total female hockey back in 2008, I had just finished my pro career And throughout my pro playing career, I worked as a personal trainer the entire time. So for six years. And in those final two years, I transitioned from training individual adult clients to training uh, young athletes in a group setting. So I already knew that, you know, training hockey teams or training young athletes was something I was really excited about and really comfortable with. And my company was called The Young Athlete. And I still operate under that name uh, today. Um, But, you know, for me... A big part of why I started Total Female Hockey and and really focused on off-ice training in the beginning is because it was the reason I got to the elite level and it was also the reason I didn't feel 100% while I was at the elite level. So I, you know, I was too much, too much of the wrong thing, too little of the right thing. Uh, So I, I... started creating off-ice training programs that players could use during the off-season and in-season to take their game to the next level safely and effectively without having to go to some big gym or have a ton of equipment. And you can still find those programs on my website. I used to promote them a ton and and that used to be, like I said, the main part of my business. Uh, Now I you know, I've got a lot of things going on, so sometimes they fall by the wayside, but they're still there. And they're very much the same as the, the training programs I created 15 years ago uh, with Total Female Hockey because, you know, things work off the ice and they continue to work. And if you're starting from scratch or starting without any background in off-ice training specific to being a hockey player, uh, it's a great place to start. So feel free to check them out. I still use them when I coach junior and U18 AA here in Toronto. I did that for about 15 years. Uh, Those were the training programs I used to train the team in the hallways of the arena in the parking lots, in the dressing room. So we didn't have, you know, a gym in the rink and I would figure out ways to, you know, have these top level high school athletes still training to be better and find 30 minutes before or after practice every time we practice to take their strength and conditioning to the next level. So that was kind of what I started Total Female Hockey for was to make it easy and accessible for any athlete or coach to do the proper off-ice training, to not make the same mistakes I did and uh, make it feel a little bit more specific to the female game. Now, I don't believe that the off-ice training for girls hockey players needs to be any different than it is for boys hockey players. There's there's no difference, but in um, selling the program or marketing the program, I knew that if there was something that was specific to girls, and also addressed you know, the ideas of body image and confidence and those types of things, um, that there would be a, a real market for that. And, and like I said, the, the first couple of years of my business, it was just off-ice training. It was started with the manuals. Then I was training teams in person uh, from all over the, the greater Toronto area, running camps, speed camps, strength camps, um, 
you know, working with athletes off the ice. It's something I still love doing, kind of gotten away from it a bit uh, just because the demand has been so high on the ice. But I'm hoping this summer I can start doing more of it because I, I love training athletes off the ice as much as I do on the ice. Uh, I get that same excitement and energy and planning it and executing it. And so, you know, what I want to kind of transition to now in our in our podcast is talk about some things you can do. Not everyone's a strength and conditioning coach. Not everyone has uh, the background or experience that I have uh, in in training young athletes. So, you know, as a, a parent, as a player, as a coach, what can you do to increase your athleticism and increase your ability to be fast and strong and tough um, on the ice? So number one, you got to play more sports. I am not a early specialization fan. Uh, I think that's what saved me as a young athlete. And it's also what made me as effective as possible. And when I finally picked hockey as my number one sport, which wasn't until I went to college up until that point, like I said, I had scholarship opportunities in all three of my main sports, soccer, basketball, and hockey. And I was way better at soccer than I was at the other two sports. My high school soccer coach still mad at me probably that I didn't pursue soccer at a higher level but you know I could kick the puck out of my zone all the way down the ice win the wall battles in the feet I could protect the puck really well because I was so uh, used to boxing out in basketball I played any sport every sport at school and at the park across the street from my house as a kid and it wasn't always structured it wasn't always a lesson it was free play it was you know joining some summer sports camp where you know no one was teaching you the sport they said okay for the next half an hour you're playing volleyball and we would figure it out. You know, I'd hit, I remember hitting a tennis ball back, back and forth for hours and hours on this wall in the park, which now I look at that same park and the, the walls are made of bricks that kind of stick out. So of course, every time you hit the ball, it's completely in, unpredictable where that ball is going to go. I used to do that for hours. I used to kick a soccer ball against the wall for hours. I'd play baseball with my buddies and we would, we would make ourselves hit the wrong way and throw wrong handed. It was unstructured play. There was no adult watching us. There was no one saying, now do this drill for five minutes and then go get a water break and then do this drill. Um, so be an athlete, and especially if you're the parent or coach of young athletes, have them play more sports, have them do more coordination, have them do more balance, have them do more tag. This is the key to athleticism. They do not need to be training like an Olympic athlete when they're 10 just because they want to be an Olympic athlete. That is not appropriate for their age or training level. Um, I'll use my own kids as an example. So I have a, a couple daughters who play hockey, but one's seven, one's five. The five-year-olds just live in life and, and go into practice. But the seven-year-old, you know, she's playing rep hockey, which means she's usually on the ice four or five times a week. Um, but that's not all she's doing. It is the only competitive sport she's doing right now, but she's doing swimming. She's doing soccer. She's doing squash. She's doing basketball. And those aren't all, you know, um, scheduled lessons with a trainer or a coach. Some of that's just playing with me or going with her, you know, um, grandma and going swimming. Like it's not, doesn't always have to be, you know, learning from the greatest coach or in a high intensity environment. Uh, you can just go play with your family and, or go hit that ball against the wall. It doesn't all have to be super competitive. And I know because of all the athletes I've trained and seen in hockey for years and years, those who specialize later tend to have a longer career uh, in the sport and tend to have more success 
because of the other sports that they've played and how they transfer over to hockey. Hockey is kind of a jack of all trades, master of none type of sport. So the athleticism you get from swimming and tennis and soccer and lacrosse and you name it, it's all going to help you be a better hockey player. So don't specialize early, play a bunch of sports and, you know, playing basketball with your brother out in the driveway counts as playing another sport. It doesn't have to be mean you're, you know, training three days a week and traveling on weekends, playing competitive basketball. So that'd be number one. Number two is keep it simple. You don't need equipment. You don't really need the gym, especially at younger age groups. This will give, be a perfect example to give you. Doesn't matter what age you're at. Hockey is a single leg sport. We use both our legs, but we rarely are waiting or using both legs equally at the same time. And so we're often balancing on one leg more than the other or exclusively as we skate, shoot, pass, stick handle. So work on your single leg balance. Really easy to do. I've got a bunch of videos on it uh, on the Total Female Hockey website. But I always tell players, if you can stand on one leg and go knee to calf. So the leg you're standing on, you're bending you know, through your ankle and through your knee, keep your foot flat, sit your butt down a little bit, but get low mostly through your ankle and through your knee joint and touch the knee of the leg that's in the air to the calf of the leg that's on the ground. It's kind of hard to explain that verbally, but hopefully you understand. So you're not standing up like a flamingo. You're getting lower into your hockey stance, making sure you're flexing through the ankle, not just the knee. And I want you to hold that single leg balance position. If you're playing a lot of hockey, you know, you're normally standing on a knife blade. If you're standing on the flat ground, you should be able to hold that knee to calf position low for a minute on each side, no problem. Easy. Now, if you want to make that harder, you can put your arms behind your back. So now you don't have your arms to help you stabilize. Or you can do it with your eyes closed. Now you don't have the visual system to help you stabilize. Or you can do it with a partner and you've got standing there on one leg uh, knee to calf and your partner is pushing you you know from different directions little pushes challenging your balance now it's starting to look a little bit more like hockey someone pushing you in the corner and so we're pushing we're challenging you can do that with your eyes open you can do that with your eyes closed you can add squats so you stand on one leg and you go down touch the ground you could turn to one side go down and touch the ground turn to the other side go down and touch the ground that's all going to force you to fight for better stability, which again, in hockey is a huge part of being a high performance athlete in our sport. You can add stick handling while you're balancing on one leg, stick handle in front, stick handle on your backhand, stick handle on your forehand, try to stick handle behind you, work on different dangles. Again, all of this is easy. You can do this in your bedroom. You can do this in the driveway. You can do it in your basement. You can also have a, a family member, or a teammate holding up, you know, fingers in front of you or to the side of you. So you have to turn your head and call out numbers while you continue to balance or stick handle. So that's super easy. I used to do that all the time as a warm up for my athletes in the hallway of the rink. It's a great way to activate the muscles. It's a great way to activate uh, the hands if you're doing stick handling or to activate the brain if you're doing the calling out the numbers uh, and the awareness. So really simple thing that you're probably not doing that you could start doing that will make a huge difference in your performance in terms of activation and confidence uh, in our single leg sport. The next thing I would say is just, just do it. I guess that's a Nike commercial now, but do something off ice training related 10 minutes a day. It doesn't seem like a lot, but right now if you're doing zero minutes a day, 10 minutes a day over the course of a week, let's give you one day off. So six days a week, 10 minutes a day, that's an hour. An hour over the course of, you know, 
let's say we're doing hockey for 30 weeks of the the calendar year now we've got 30 hours of off-ice training that we weren't doing before that's it's a lot of hours that's not nothing it's not necessarily transformational but it is something it's something that shows that you're committed to doing it consistently on a day-to-day basis so what could that look like my seven-year-old would probably do 10 minutes of cartwheels and handstands she's not a gymnast but she's trying to do it so she's out there you know in the living room knocking books and plants over trying to do her cartwheels that's athletic training it's not me giving her pointers i don't know how to do those things particularly well either but she's using her body and she's challenging herself and she has a goal in mind and an intention to do it right uh you know it's not super structured but it's not going to hurt her athleticism either um she could do stick handling you know 10 minutes a day that's a bit of a chore to try to get her to do that as a seven-year-old but stick handling while balancing on one leg for 10 minutes while you're watching something on youtube <laughs> like it, it's 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 nothing and yet it's not nothing it shows a level of commitment uh, to consistency and development that again most players aren't doing that um you can work on your shooting you know shooting off two legs shooting off one leg shooting your backhand again we've talked about this stuff before on the podcast you know, it's use your imagination. You have to drive the bus of your own development. You have to become your master of your craft. It can't just be, well, Coach Sims, Kim says, do this. You know, do you want to get stronger in your upper body? Start learning how to do push-ups properly, not crappy little turtle head push-ups where you just use your neck. Watch it on YouTube. See how you're supposed to look, how your body's supposed to align, and practice it. Maybe you can only do one good one. Maybe you can do three good ones. Maybe you want to work up to 20 good ones. If you spent 10 minutes a day doing that, by you know the end of a couple of weeks, you're going to be able to bang out some pretty good push-ups. And that's going to give you physical strength on the ice, but it's also going to give you psychological confidence knowing that you set a goal, you worked on it, and you, know, you got the outcome you wanted as a result of that. Um, one other thing I would suggest, and you know this is pretty universal with all strength and conditioning coaches is we need our athletes to sprint at full speed more often. So not jogging around a track or not sprinting at 80%, a full intensity sprint where you are trying to win, you know, that hundred meter dash at the Olympics, like that intensity level gold medal sprinting. We need to do that more often. Now, I don't mean more often, like do 20 of them. I mean, you know, you've done an off ice warm up, a dynamic warm up. And then you have your players run three separate 10 meter sprints at full speed where they get a full recovery. So a full recovery would mean they don't feel any physical tiredness. They've walked back slowly. Maybe there's, you know, only one or probably just one athlete, maybe two athletes sprinting at the same time. And it's just full out 10 meters, do it as hard as you can. It's not going to take very long, but you're in order to be fast, you have to go fast. Your body has to get used to that intensity level of sprinting. And you can do that on the ice as well. You can do, you know, a, a warm-up drill and then have players do blue to blue full tilt or goal line to blue line full tilt. And again, you need to have full recovery. It can't be rest for three seconds and do it again. It's got to be rest for a minute and do it again. We need to have that full intensity of sprinting so players know what 100% speed actually looks like. Obviously, better technique will help off the ice in terms of your running technique or on the ice in terms of your stride technique, but you need to get your body used to that idea of competing at 100%. You can time it. 
That's a great way to get the competition level up, whether it's just an individual player as, or as a team, right? Who's the fastest one? Or did you beat your time from last week? You know, if, if you take the stopwatch out, all of a sudden you're going to get 100% effort. If it's just, okay, guys, try really hard to go fast for 10 meters, you're probably not getting 100%. But if you time it, you're definitely going to get 100%. Or if you make it a race against their teammate and try to match them up by relative speed, now you're going to get 100%. So again, those are little things you can do that will add in to your individual performance or your team's performance, right? Whether that's single leg balance or doing some stick handling work, doing some push-ups, doing some sprinting, right? I'm not suggesting that all the 11 year olds out there should be in the gym for an hour, you know, five times a week. Absolutely not. But I do think off ice training is something that is not quite done consistently uh, at a young enough age. It, it can be really easily incorporated into the off ice warm up um, before the game or after the practice. Uh, at, at the youngest ages of our sport, I don't think it's something you have to wait till you're 14 year old, years old to do. Um, and I think it's just think of it more as developing athleticism as opposed to off-ice training for hockey. And if you think of it in that more general sense, then you start to look at the other sports that your kids are doing or that you're participating in, and those all count towards your off-ice training. If you're swimming and playing hockey, your cardio is going to be pretty good from all the swimming you're doing, and that's going to allow you to recover better in between shifts and and maybe be able to last longer throughout a game and, and into overtime. So you know, the sports do help each other. They do help create a little bit more of life balance, um, but they do also improve overall athleticism, which is going to make you a better player in a sport that, you know, doesn't just require speed or strength or balance or awareness or coordination. It requires all of it. And so we need to play as many sports as possible in order to develop those abilities. So thanks for letting me rant on about off-ice training. Clearly, you can tell I love it. It's a big passion of mine, something I want to get back to doing more with the athletes that I work with, not just, you know, blowing the whistle on the ice and, and uh, pointing my stick and telling them where to go. And so start doing it, start reading about it, start learning about it, start small, think about those 10 minute increments, play those other sports. Thank you for listening. And if you have any feedback, feel free to shoot me an email, send me a message on social media, uh, and please rate the podcast. If you if you think we're doing a great job, uh, we'd love to have a five-star rating from you. I'm really enjoying putting these episodes together. And if you have any ideas for a future episode that you'd really like to hear about, uh, I'm only an email away, so feel free to shoot me a message and I'd be happy to consider it for a future episode. Keep working hard, dreaming big, and training off the ice.